This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Well, welcome, everybody. I want to say welcome to all of our friends who are joining us online, our family spread across the world, our extensions, campuses. We're so thrilled to be together. We're in the fourth and final week of a message series that's called At the Movies. And this has been a fun four-week journey for us. Uh, We've been looking at different movies and some of the themes for the movies. And I know for some of you, maybe this has been a stretch, a little weird to watch a movie in church services. Others of you, you thought you were coming to the church service to watch the whole movie. So we've got everything in between. And I would say today, this movie that we're going to talk about, The Jesus Revolution, is my favorite movie of the entire series. How many of you have seen the movie, just out of curiosity? So a lot of you. Um, Little spoiler alerts along the way today, but this is a great movie. I remember being seated in the movie theater with Stacy, and we'd watched it with some of our staff here at Saddleback, and I remember at the end just being so moved by the story of what God did through a generation, and my prayer was, God, do it again, do it again, do it again. And I believe that God wants to use our time together today to inspire our hearts with what is possible when God is on the move in and through our lives, to give us a vision for the kind of people and the kind of church that he wants to become. Now this movie, The Jesus Revolution, happened right here in our backyard in Orange County. And the story is actually the catalyst of the Jesus movement that spread across the entire world. Literally millions of people were changed because of what God did through the Jesus movement. And because there's so much that has happened here locally, we actually had the opportunity to sit down with the writer of the movie and capture some of his thoughts about the movie. We have it on a podcast uh, that we'd love to give to you today. When you take your next steps on the digital next card, uh, connect card, you can just say, I want that podcast. We'll send it right to your inbox. It'll be in your inbox by the time you get to your car, but don't listen to it while I'm preaching, okay? Just saying. But you might want to grab that. Now, as we listen to, or as we watch this movie, some of the clips from the movie, what we're going to focus on today are three primary groups from the movie. We're going to focus on Chuck Smith, who when we find him in the movie, he's a pastor who's ready to call it quits. We're also going to look at a guy by the name of Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie is a hippie who's high on Jesus. And then we've got another group of people from the church who are trying to make a decision whether or not they're gonna go along with the vision that God is putting in front of their church. And it's gonna be fun to watch Chuck and Lonnie who have very little in common interact with one another. Now, before we go there, I wanna also recognize that in the late 60s, the world was in a very tumultuous time. There there was the Vietnam War that was happening. There, There was so much that was happening in our world Uh, civilly and politically, there was unrest. Actually, all over the world, the world was ripe for a move of God. There was tension, there was trouble, and the Jesus revolution was at the heart of a world that was at unrest. And I would say today that we live in a world that's at unrest, and the world is ripe again for a move of God. Now, our church was founded after the Jesus revolution, 1968, but Our founding pastor, our beloved founding pastor, Rick Warren, was a part of the Jesus movement. And this is his jacket from the Jesus movement. (laughs) 
That's pretty cool. So I promised I wouldn't sell it on eBay. He told me I could wear it, but I thought, no, it's just too sacred of a garment for me to put on. But it's so cool that this movement has impacted so many people's lives. And what I hope you'll see through this movie is the grace of God coming out over and over and over again through the movie, The Heart of God. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounds, grace abounded so much more. And I believe that the grace of God is the most potent force on planet Earth. It has the power to change the human heart. But when we start the movie, Chuck is really not all about the grace of God for these hippies. But thankfully, he has a daughter who's willing to confront him. You know, Chuck in that scene is, he's brought to the reality of how the hippies make him feel. You know, these, these group of, this group of people that their lives are a mess and the habits, the way that they dress, the way that they smell is very different than the people that Chuck would interact with. And there aren't a whole lot of hippies anymore. Now, I know here at Saddleback, there are some of you that when I look at you now, you're clean shaven, you've got your polo shirt on, you like to golf, but in the late 60s, you were a hippie. <laughs> and, and perhaps if, if you've, you've never seen a hippie, it's hard to think, well, that, what did it feel like to be around a hippie? But we all have people in our lives that make us feel uncomfortable. There are people in your life, perhaps, that they have a different political point of view than you do. There are people that come from ethnicities that sometimes the way they act is different than the group of people that you came from, or perhaps maybe there's somebody on another side of town from a different socioeconomic group or a different profession that when you think about them, they make you feel uncomfortable. And what can happen so often in our lives is the longer we live our lives, we can start to avoid the people that make us feel uncomfortable. Yet when we consider the message of Jesus, the gospel message, the good news, is a message of God coming to us. That God would step down from the glory and comfort of heaven and become a human, take on human skin. He came towards humanity to bring us back to the heart of God. Yet so often what is happening for the lives of Jesus followers often is that they're trying to remove themselves from the very people that God came to reach. So a question I wanna encourage you to ask yourself is to contemplate who is the person that God is running towards that I'm running from? Who is the person that God is pursuing that you find yourself trying to remove yourself if you're in a conversation or if you're getting close to them, you try to take a couple steps back. Maybe it's the way they smell, maybe it's the way they look, maybe it's the way they think, but they make you feel uncomfortable. Paul said in Philippians chapter two, verse 15, he says this, go out into the world, don't hide from it, go out into it, uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in the squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. I want you to circle in your notes or in your scripture that phrase that says into on your notes, that there's a step to go into the world. And when we understand at the core of who God is, God is a relational God. God did not design us for religion God designed us for relationship, and this is the first point. God did not make you for religion. God made you for relationship. He made us to be a part of his big family. 
In fact, before creation, before humanity came, God existed eternally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a relational God. And he wanted one big global family from every nation, tribe, and tongue to know his heart. So that means that every person who makes a decision to open their heart to God, they're invited into this mission of God to see the whole world know his heart, every nation, tribe, and tongue. And when I understand that God did not make me for religion, but God made me for relationship, God made me for relationship with him, and God made me for relationship with others, it changes my perspective in life. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that you are the light of the world. And I want you to hear these words that Jesus speaks. He says, no one lights a lamp and hides it or puts it under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a lampstand so that people may see the light as they come in. Followers of Jesus and the church is supposed to be a light to a dark world. So that when people are wandering in darkness, the light is not there to judge the darkness. The light is there to point to the hope that is in Jesus. I remember when I was in high school, my student pastor, Mike Bonzer, he, he started teaching us in our ministry, the student leaders, how to love and serve people who were beyond the walls of the church. And this whole experience in high school marked me. It, it was so much of my journey and call to ministry was this longing for my friends who did not know the love of Jesus to experience what I was experiencing. Now, this came with some problems because a lot of the kids that we would invite to church, they, they didn't behave like church kids, whatever that means. And I remember there was a group of kids that were coming from some of the schools nearby and they would stand outside the doors of the church building and they would smoke before they would come in. They'd put their cigarettes out and then they would come in to the church service. And as they would come into the church service, smelling like smoke for the, you know, the students are hanging out, the elders found out about this. And the elders went to Mike and they said, hey Mike, we, 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 we command you that you need to stand up in front of the students and say to these kids who are smoking before they come into the church building, they're making the building smell like smoke, and if they wanna keep coming to the church building, they need to either A, stop smoking, or B, stop coming. And that, that story marked me. I just remember as a high schooler thinking that that's not the way that God intended for it to happen. See, what God wants to do is to get a hold of our hearts and break our hearts for those who don't know his love. And Chuck, he makes a statement, if God will bring me a hippie, we'll see what happens. I love how you can so clearly see how God is at work. And he was changing Chuck's heart, softening his heart to people beyond the walls of his church, to this group of hippies. And when we look around in the world over the last few years, one of the surprising realities is the hostility that exists in our world. And it never ceases to amaze me story after story of how COVID and political perspectives and the way people see these last few years has literally divided families from one another. There's so much anger and hostility in our world, yet when Jesus came and at the core of the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was a friend to those who were sinners. Jesus was a friend to those who had nothing to do with the religious institutions. And so often, people can get hardened in their heart and forget that God did not make us 
to be hostile with one another. God actually made us for friendship with one another. God did not make you to be hostile to people around you. God made you to be a friend to those who have never encountered his love and a friend to those in our communities and a friend to those at our workplaces. Jesus was a friend of sinners and you were designed by God for friendship. I still remember uh, there was this guy at the church we pastored in the San Francisco Bay Area and he was a great guy but a, a weird hugger. You ever met a weird hugger? Now, let me say this first of all. I, I'm a hugger, okay? So don't, don't feel like I don't want to hug by saying this. But this guy was a weird hugger. Like, I'm talking back hugs where he would walk up behind me. I'm standing there talking to people. And this guy, this joker, would back hug me and lift me off the ground. It's nothing like being enveloped unexpectedly. It's just a little bit too much for me, so I learned his tactics over time, and when I saw him coming, I did the pivot. You know, I'm like, I'll do a front hug, but none of that back stuff. Just leave me clear back there. So, um, but I digress. He he also would say, when we hug, our hearts have to connect, like this right here. So that's cool. You know, the heart connects. So we would do the heart connect. I'm like, okay, I'll do the heart connect with you, just not the, the other one. So heart connect and then get out. But isn't it interesting though how even with a hug, God has made, he's made our bodies to, to hug. He's made our hands to shake. He's, he's made us for friendship, for community, for relationship, to extend love to one another. And so often, people who are religious, people who follow Jesus, sometimes the, the longer they follow Jesus, the more hardened their hearts become, the more hostility, and this is not true to the message of Jesus. If we're growing more hostile to the world, if we're growing more hard to those beyond the walls of the church, then there's something wrong with the way that we're doing it. I love this quote, and I'm gonna read it to you, and if you're offended, um, just keep in mind I didn't write it. So, um, this quote from Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, this is such a powerful quote. He says, Jesus' teaching consistently, consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches. Even our most avant-garde ones, we tend to draw conservative, buttoned-down, moralistic people. The licentious and liberated or the broken and marginal avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. Now, when Stacy and I were in the Bay Area, I, I became increasingly convinced that there were some things that I needed to, to teach on. And this quote really played into a lot of what God was doing in the church that we pastored there as we were seeing people come to church who normally wouldn't come to church, seeing literally thousands of lives transform with the love of Jesus. And I became convinced that, that God was leading me about six years ago to teach about his design for marriage and sexuality. 
to teach that God had designed marriage to be a covenant relationship between a man and a woman, that this was his design. And so often in our world, what I was noticing was people who followed Jesus were being more discipled by the world than they were being discipled by the church. So I felt like I needed to have some conversations and, and teach on this subject. And as I also started contemplating it, part of the reason why I felt compelled to teach on this was because the number of people that were coming to faith in our church from the LGBTQ community. And we were literally watching dozens of, of people come to faith and they had all kinds of questions and the church had questions and everybody's trying to wrestle through, what, what, how do I respond? And so I wanted to communicate the truth of God with grace and compassion and I hadn't really seen a whole lot of people that communicated it the way that I felt like God was calling me to. I saw some people that would communicate God's truth, but they would do it in anger or hostility. And I saw some people try to communicate the grace, but not communicate God's truth. And so I felt like I needed to lean into this conversation with both truth and grace. But before I did, I needed to have some conversations with this community of people who were coming to our church. So I gathered them together, and we had a lunch, and we sat around in a circle, and I just said, share your story with me. And they walked, they walked, we walked around the circle or went around the circle and one by one they shared their story. Some of them who'd come to faith in Jesus within the last few weeks or months and they talked about what it was like to grow up in their church and some of them had been separated from their families and some of them had experienced religiously the kind of experience that we would never wish for on another person, that they were shunned from their families, shunned from the church and I can tell you in that moment my theology or belief what the Bible teaches did not change, but in that experience, my heart grew with compassion for the pain that the friends of mine around the circle had endured. And when I came to communicate that sermon, I was able to communicate it with so much more compassion and God's heart that Jesus, what he does is he works with us where we are. He meets us where we are and then he leads us to the place that he wants us to go. And this is so important for us that God is the kind of God that is able to meet us in our brokenness. Romans chapter five, I wanna read this verse. It says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That means that while you were at your worst, before you ever did anything good to turn to God, Jesus was paying the price for your sins so that you could be forgiven. And isn't it true so often that we extend so much more compassion to the people that struggle with the things that we struggle with? It's like, well, well, I'm greedy and you're greedy and I kinda came out of my greediness so I'm not gonna judge you, I understand. Or perhaps you have some other habits that God's cleaned up in your life and it's so much easier to give empathy and give compassion to the people who have had the same challenges that you have. But I am so grateful that we have a God that sees every person who is broken on the face of the planet and made a way so that our brokenness can be healed through the power of the cross that no matter what your sin is, no matter what your shame or regret is, there's a way to restoration through the cross and the empty tomb. So if you are a follower of Jesus, there is no excuse to shun the people that God is pursuing. 
There is no excuse to not go after every type of brokenness in our world. God is wanting to put together a family that has been healed from all kinds of sin. And Jesus sets our lives back up. He does not want us. He meets us where we are, but he does not leave us where we are. And there's such a beauty of God's grace that when it changes a life, when he transforms a soul, it's a trophy of God's grace. And he's wanting to have trophies of grace, of his love and his kindness. But it doesn't always go well. You know, when you love the people God loves, sometimes you get a bit of resistance. Kind of like Chuck did as Jesus began to change his heart. There was a choice that Chuck made and the rest of his congregation had to come to grips with. And the question or the choice that they had to make is would they point the way to Jesus or would they block the way to Jesus? And this is the last point. I really want you to hear this. God is, is not wanting our lives to block the way. God is wanting our lives to point the way or show the way to Jesus. Sometimes Christians block the way to the good news, whether it's with their attitudes or their lifestyle or the way that they treat people. And then there are so many, and I am so grateful for the thousands of you who've been a part of Saddleback for 40 plus years, who have pointed the way to Jesus over and over and over and over again. I'm grateful for the rich heritage of many generations that have gone before us, and I'm grateful for the Jesus movement, and I'm grateful for what God did through Calvary Chapel and what God did through Greg and Kathy Laurie and so many others that have pointed the way to Jesus. But every generation has to make a choice when we come to grips with the movement of God. Will we be the kind of people that block the way or the kind of people that show the way? In Mark chapter two, I wanna read these verses. They're so powerful. Jesus is teaching and it says he comes to Capernaum several days after he'd been teaching and the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door while he was preaching God's word to them. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because there was a crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. So these friends come to Jesus with their, their buddy that can't walk, and they're hoping that Jesus will heal him so that he can walk again, but Jesus does so much more. In verse five, he saw their faith, and it says that Jesus looked to the paralyzed man, and he said, my child, your sins are forgiven. And I want you to notice the connection of the faith of these men, these friends, that brought their friend to Jesus, and how Jesus sees their faith, and he heals the man, and he gives forgiveness. They come wanting healing, and Jesus does so much more. He heals the whole man. He heals him from the power of sin, and he gives him the ability to walk again. But right there, in the middle of the story, there's a group of religious people in verse six, and it says the teachers of the religious law were sitting there, and they thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins, not realizing that this is God who's giving forgiveness. Jesus was revealing that he was and is God, and he's the only one that can forgive sins. And you see here, very briefly in this story, you see that whenever God is moving, there are different groups of people. 
Now, the first group of people is the consumer that loves to watch a movement of God. The crowd oftentimes would flock to Jesus to hear his teaching and see the miracles. And this is still true today. It often begins, our journey spiritually happens as we're interested in what God is doing. And this is one of the things we, we love about being a church that has space for lots of people. You can come and watch and be a part of the crowd, but there's a moment where there's a step we take. There's a moment where we go from the crowd and we become a part of what God is doing. And if we're not careful, if we keep coming and watching and coming and watching and we never engage in what God is doing, we actually can move towards becoming a critic. Somebody once said that when you watch a football game, you'll notice that a football game is 80,000 people in the stands in desperate need of exercise with 22 people on the field in desperate need of rest. And sometimes churches can be like that. Sometimes we, we can have this tendency to watch, and the longer you watch, haven't you noticed even sometimes when you watch, the more that people watch sports, the more they become a sports critic? And there's a movement that God is wanting to do. He doesn't want us to be a consumer. He doesn't want us to be a critic. The critic, what the critic does is they love to judge the work of God. So a consumer loves to consume it and experience it and watch it. A critic loves to judge it and to stand and point at what's wrong with God's movement. But there's a third group of people. Those are the contributors. And again, I'm so grateful for those who contribute to the work of God. A contributor loves to be a part of the work of God. A contributor loves to pour out their life and see God use them. And there are so many of you who are, who are the contributors to what God is doing, the thousands of people who make a difference every week with their life, and they serve in kids and students, and you serve in the parking lot and wave at people as they come on, and you change diapers in the nursery, and you, you pour out your life into small groups, and you care for people with counseling through Saddleback Care, and you, you, you serve at Celebrate Recovery, and you pour your life out, and you're used by God. There's something so beautiful about being a part of the work of God. But if you watch long enough, if you consume long enough, and you never take that step, Sometimes you'll become a critic, and this happened to Chuck. You start to see the religious leaders in Chuck's day kind of grow more frustrated at what God was doing. As we conclude our time together, I wanna ask you to consider where do you find yourself in this story as you watch? Which of the characters do you most relate to? And I know there are so many different places that we find ourselves, and I wanna start with those of you who perhaps, maybe there's a group of people that currently make you feel uncomfortable and you find yourself moving away from the very people that God is moving towards. And I wanna ask you to examine your heart today. I wanna ask you to go before God and say, search me, oh God, and see what's on the inside. Show me the things about me, the heart attitudes, the ways in my life that are not pleasing to you and lead me along the path that you have for my life so that my heart can be filled with your love and kindness for those around me. And perhaps there's somebody in your neighborhood or your place of work or a family member that you're estranged from that God is wanting you to take a step towards this week. Perhaps somebody that you would bring back next week as we start a brand new message series called 
the power of grace. I want to encourage you to examine your heart. Others of you, the step for you today is to soften your heart. To say, God, I need you, I need you to soften some edges inside of my heart. My heart's grown cold. My heart's grown hard. And I can't think of a better way to soften our hearts for those of us who are followers of Jesus to do our very best to remember what our lives were like apart from God. And to try to consider if God's grace had not intervened on your behalf how your life would be different. Today, the grace of God has changed so many of us and redeemed us from the pit and crowned us with love and compassion. And just to thank him in a fresh way and say, oh, thank you, God. If you'd never do another thing for me, you've already done enough. So my heart rejoices at your love. Let him soften your heart. But there's one other appeal that I have today, and I want to finish on this And I can't help but think there are some of you that are listening to my voice today and you feel like that outcast. You feel unworthy. There's so much regret that you carry. There's so much shame from your past. There's so many wounds, perhaps even religious wounds that you carry with you. And you think God could love other people, but God could never love somebody like me. And I want to say to you today, this is a place of grace. This is a place of God's love And the invitation for you is to open your heart to the love of God, to receive what Jesus has done on a cross for you, to by faith believe in Jesus who paid the price for your sins and conquered the grave. And the Bible says to anyone who would believe, to all of those who would receive, Jesus gives us the right to become children of God, that if you believe with your heart and you confess with your lips that he is Lord, you are saved from the power of sin and death. And I wanna say to you today, I want you to lock eyes with me. I know you got all your fill in the blanks now, so put your notes down. And I want you to lock eyes with me right now because I don't want you to miss what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in this moment. There are some of you that right now you don't have a relationship with God. You don't have the confidence of salvation and you've never taken that step to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life. And today is the day of your salvation. Some of you have been thinking about it for years. You've been circling this decision and today is your day to come home to the love of God, to receive his mercy in your life. Today is the day to open up and surrender your whole heart to Jesus. And I wanna say to you, there's no decision that you will ever make that is more important than the decision to trust Jesus with your life. There's no decision that you will ever make that is a better decision than putting your life in the hands of the one who knows you, who formed you, who shaped you for relationship with himself. There's nothing in this world that will satisfy you like relationship with Jesus. You can search the whole world over, keep looking for it in relationships, in money, in sex. There is nothing that will satisfy you like Jesus. And I wanna invite you right now to receive the gift of salvation, to receive the gift of relationship with God. Will you close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment? As the Spirit of God is stirring, there are some of you inside, you sense something happening that is the Spirit of God, the living Spirit of God drawing you to Himself, saying, come home to me. There is room in the family of God. There is room in relationship with God for you right now. 
And I want to invite you to say to him, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you conquered the grave. I surrender my heart to you today. Please forgive me for my past and my sins. Thank you for new life in you. I yield my whole heart to you. If you just prayed that prayer for the very first time to put your trust in Jesus, you just made the most important decision that you will ever make. And God, we thank you today for every person that yielded their heart to you in this moment. We thank you for the power of grace, that you are a life-giving, loving God that changes us from the inside out. We thank you for the good news of the gospel, the great message that never loses its power. It never grows old. And from generation to generation, you are still God. And oh, I pray from the bottom of my heart that you would do it again, God, that you would stir in us this kind of movement, that as salvation comes more and more to Saddleback Church, that you would use us to be a part of another global movement of your message to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.